Book Three, Chapter Ten of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book Three, Chapter Ten. Yes, it was love. If thoughts of tenderness tried in temptation, strongest by distress, unmoved by absence, firm in every clime, and yet, oh, more than all, untired by time, which naught removed nor menaced to remove, if there be love in mortals, this was love. A gloom fell upon the spirit of Malcolm Ford after that meeting in the sick woman's cottage. The thoughts of his old life, his old hopes, bright dreams of union with the woman he fondly loved, pleasant visions of a simple pastoral English life among people it would be his happiness to render happy, a fair prospect which he had cherished for a little while, only to lose it by and by in bitterness and disappointment. The thoughts of these things came back to him and took the sweetness out of his pleasant existence and made all the future barren. It was hard to know that he had his own impetuosity to blame for the ruin of his earthly happiness, harder to be content remembering how he had been permitted to realise that other and unselfish dream of carrying light to those that sat in darkness, hard to say, Lord, I thank thee, thou knowest best what is good for me, thou hast given me far more than I deserve. Not yet could his spirit soar into this holy region of perpetual peace, a region where sorrows are not, only mild chastenings of a heavenly master, who leavens every affliction with the leaven of faith and hope. His thoughts were of the earth, earthy. His mind went back to that day in Eton Place, and he hated himself for his unreasoning anger, for the false pride which would not let him court an explanation, for his blind passion which had taken the show of things for their reality. He thought of what might have been if instead of casting away this flower of his life on the first indignant impulse of his jealous mind he had shown a little patience, a little tenderness, but he had seemed incapable of patience on that odious day. With his own angry foot he had kicked down the air-built castle which it had been so sweet to him to raise. If he had found her happy, serene in the glory of her high position, secure in the sympathy and affection of a worthy husband, he would not have felt his own loss so keenly. He could have borne even to know that she had never loved him better than in that luckless hour when he renounced her. But to know that her life had been shipwrecked by his mad anger, to look into her haggard face with its sad mocking smile, and know that she was miserable, to read the old love in those lovely eyes, the old love cherished always, confessed too late by unconscious looks that pierced his very soul, these things were indeed bitter. For a while he forgot his profession, forgot what he was, and the work that still remained for him to do, sank from his lofty level of self-renouncement to the lowest depths of a too human despair. If the image of his lost love had haunted him in that strange romantic world amid the waters of the Pacific, how much more did that sad shade pursue him now, when the woman he still loved was near at hand, when from the hillside which he had daily need to pass he could see the white walls of the house she had called her prison. 
never more might his eyes search the secrets of that altered face the face which he remembered in all the pride of its girlish beauty never any more might those two meet to all other world-weary souls he might carry consolation might breathe words of promise and of hope but not to her between them rose the barrier of a mighty love unconquered and unconquerable he went his quiet way with that great sorrow in his heart had he not carried almost as great a sorrow even in the islands of the southern sea only that he had then regarded his loss as inevitable while he now lamented it as the wretched fruit of his own fatuity he went his quiet way and did the little there was to be done in that scantily peopled district visited the sick comforted the dying but the work he did just now was done in a semi-mechanical way for his heart was elsewhither it would have been a relief to him if he could only have heard of her if there had been any one who could tell him how she fared he looked at the white walls the conical towers longingly yet would not go near them to enter there would be to enter the gates of hell but he would have risked much to hear of her his eyes searched the little chapel at every service but saw her not yet this might augur nothing except that she instinctively avoided him with an avoidance he must needs approve weeks passed and he heard nothing and that mountain scene seemed strangely blank to him as if that one figure met only once had filled the whole landscape then came a day on which duty took him near slogner he went to see a sick child in a cottage within half a mile of the chateau and here almost by accident he first heard of lady paulyn's illness he had asked the boy's mother if she had everything necessary for him everything the doctor had ordered oh yes she told him they got everything from the big house where the poor lady was so ill he had been bending tenderly over the fever-stricken child but he looked suddenly upward at these words what house what lady he asked quickly oh the house with the peaky lums the woman answered a lady paulyn who took the fever and is lying ill with it still near death some folks say he laid the sick boy gently down upon his pillow and then questioned the woman closely she could tell him no more than she had told him in that one sentence the lady at slogner had been dangerously ill the doctors came there every day a doctor from glasgow and another doctor from ellensbridge some said she was dying but she had lain sick so long and hadn't died so there was hopes of her getting well the fever had been quicker with poor bodies like herself it was a good many weeks now since lady paulyn had been took what could he do he left the cottage and walked straight to slogner with no definite idea as to what he should do only that he would at least discover for himself how far the woman at the cottage had been right those people always exaggerate pick up wild versions of common facts elizabeth might have been ill perhaps oh, but not dangerously he tried to persuade himself this as he walked swiftly along the misty road he did not stop to consider his right or want of right to approach her such an hour as this made an end to all such questions if she were dying it was his duty to be near her to sustain that poor weak soul of whose mystery he knew more than any other man on earth 
by his right as a minister of god's word and her dead father's friend he would claim the privilege of being near her at the last dark hour the land in front of the chateau looked grey and gloomy in the twilight the darkness only broken by the red light of a wood fire in the hall a pompous butler imported from park lane and sorely averse to this northern establishment was basking in a glastonbury chair before the cavernous fireplace yesterday's times lying across his knees today's scotsman and edinburgh daily review crumpled into the corner of the chair the seneschal having dropped comfortably off to sleep after exhausting the news of the day disturbed by the entrance of malcolm ford this functionary rose from his slumbers and imperiously commanded an underling to light the gas which is about the only convenience we have in this detestable barracks of a place he was wont to say and have to make it ourselves in a kitchen garden at the risk of being blowed out of our beds questioned by mr ford this personage affirmed that lady paulyn was ill very ill oh but not in any danger she had been in danger three weeks ago when the fever was at its height but there was no danger now yet you say she is still very ill oh very ill sir at least way she keeps her own room oh but is i believe progressing towards convalescence would you wish to see miss disney sir lord paulyn have gone to hinverness for a few days deer-stalking uh, but miss disney is at home uh, no if you can assure me that lady paulyn is out of danger i need not trouble miss disney but in the event of danger i should be very glad if that lady would send for me you can give her my card i'm an old friend of lady paulyn's family he gave the butler his card and went away relieved but still uneasy how gloomy the house looked the dark oak staircase with its medieval newels the scottish lion rampant supporting the shield of the knife powder manufacturer whose conventional quarterings lord paulyn had not taken the trouble to efface the vaulted roof with its bosses and corbels in carton pierre and gloomy as the ancient woodwork from which they had been modelled the black and white marble floor with skins of savage beasts laid here and there the suits of mail glimmering in the firelight the underling not yet having brought his taper a dismal udolpho-like place it looked at this hour in spite of the chief butler's portly presence hmm. a parson i suppose mused the butler when the figure of malcolm ford had vanished from the porch beneath whose shadow he had lingered a few moments to look back into the house wondering whether amidst all this pomp she was loved and well cared for a parson i make no doubt what a rum lot they are to be sure as bad as ravens hanging about house when there's any one dying one would think they went partners with the undertaker well let's have a look at his pasteboard he continued aloud while the gas was being lighted the reverend malcolm ford why i'm blessed if that isn't the chap she was engaged to before we married her fancy his coming airy a sneaking here while his lordship's out of the way for about a fortnight after that evening mr ford sent a messenger to slogner dyack at intervals of two or three days to inquire about lady paulyn and the reply being always to the effect that her ladyship was progressing favourably 
he comforted himself with the idea that all danger was past and finally told the messenger he need go no more his own residence at dunallen was drawing to a close mr mackenzie writing cheerily from divers belgian towns where he and his family were enjoying the glories and pleasures of continental travel on an economical scale but writing still more cheerily of his approaching return to the home nest after all my dear ford there's no place like our own wee parlour and there's nothing in the way of foreign kickshaws partridges with stewed pears and the lord knows what that i relish as much as a sheep's head or a few broths and i think my wife's potato soup beats your potage a l'italienne or your puree au bois hollow the hills about spa are a poor business compared with argyleshire and if it wasn't for being covered with furs would be paltry beyond comparison as it doesn't do for a white choker to adorn the gaming-table i had rather a dull time of it and was glad when we got back to liege where the churches and gun-factories are unapproachable i saw some wood-carving about the choir-stalls that would have set your ritualistic mouth watering <laughs> only that now you've given yourself up to foreign missions you've turned your back on that kind of thing malcolm ford's time at dunallen was nearly ended thank god the peril had passed he could leave her with a heart that was almost at peace for by this time he had schooled himself to accept his fate the lot out of god's hand and to pray in humility and hope for her ultimate happiness thus came the last day but one of his service at dunallen he had been at work from early in the morning going from dwelling to dwelling dwellings which were chiefly of the cottage order taking leave of people to whom he had made himself dear in the short space of his ministration among them promising to remember them at the other end of the world in compliance with their desire that he would sometimes think of them when he was far away he answered them with a somewhat mournful smile thinking of that other memory which would cleave to him for the rest of his life there was weeping and wailing in all these humble habitations at the prospect of his departure oh mr mackenzie was a good man and a kind one they all protested warmly and mrs mackenzie's potato soup and honest barley broth kept soul and body together in many a household through the bleak long winter but mr mackenzie wasn't like mr ford he had a little dry way of talking to folks and didn't enter into the very thoughts of poor bodies like his substitute nor could he preach so fine a sermon as mr ford a strong point with these critical caledonians his day's labours were ended at last he had trodden the heather-clad hills he loved so well for the last time had taken his last look at slognadiac's white towers and he sat by his solitary hearth thinking how very soon he should have left this well-known land to resume his work among a strange people not unhopefully did he look forward to new toil new anxieties the eager thirst of conquest which urges the missionary as it urges the warrior had grown somewhat languid with him of late he could not feel quite the old enthusiasm i go to reclaim the lost among a strange people he thought while the soul that i love best on earth may be perishing the soul that i might have trained to such a high destiny he had letters to write much still to do before leaving scotland but he sat by the lonely fireside in the gloaming 
lost in melancholy thought the neat little maid-servant came to ask if she should bring the lamp but he told her no he liked the firelight it is a pleasant light for thinking by meg he said a pleasant light perhaps but his thoughts were not pleasant he tried to confine them to the actual business of his life the work that lay before him in the future but they would not be directed they clung with a passionate regret to the scene he was about to leave they hung about the white-walled chateau they wandered in and out of those unknown chambers where elizabeth lived they would not be diverted from her oh if she were well and happy it would be different he said to himself in self-exculpation he sat on till the chapel clock had struck nine the october night was blusterous wild gusts rattling the window frames and rustling the ivy with a gruesome and ghostly sound as of disembodied souls striving for admittance the moon was up and by fits and starts emerged from a stormy sea of blackest clouds lighting up the wild landscape the water at the foot of the hill it was during one of these sudden bursts of moonlight that mr ford happening suddenly to look up saw a strange figure outside his window a face white as the moonlight peering in at him through the glass for a moment he looked at it in dumb wonder taking it for the embodiment of his own troubled fancies a mere visionary creature as if that melancholy sound of the ivy leaves against the glass had made itself a shape out of the shadows it was very real however a hand tapped upon the pane with a hurried imperious tapping he got up from his chair and went over to the window great heavens it was that one woman whose image absorbed his every thought it was elizabeth oh, let me in she cried piteously in tones that seemed strange to him stranger even than her presence in that spot he opened the window softly i'll come round to the door and let you in he said for heaven's sake what has happened only that i've cheated them all at last she said looking at him with wild beseeching eyes i have broken loose from my bondage oh malcolm you will not let them take me back again something an unutterable indefinable something in her tones and looks struck him with a sharper pain than he had felt even yet though almost all his thoughts of her had been pain he rushed across the room and the tiny hall beyond it to the door only a few paces from the window by which she stood he opened it quickly and went out into the wintry night and found her still rapping impatiently upon the pane as if she had not heard or comprehended what he had said to her she was clad in some loose long garment of the dressing-gown species and had a shawl flung carelessly over her shoulders but neither hat nor bonnet her long rippling hair fell loosely about her mixed with the folds of her shawl dear lady paulyn he said very gently what could have induced you to come here at such an hour good heavens you have surely not walked he added hastily looking down the long moonlit road where there was no vestige of any vehicle oh yes i've come all the way on foot and alone i was afraid at first i might not find you but there was some instinct led me right i think sometimes i saw you a little way before me in the moonlight and you turned now and then and smiled and beckoned me oh, your smile drew me after you why do you live so far off malcolm 
you were so much nearer at hawley i remember that morning i came to see you only to find you gone it seemed so short a walk but to-night it was like walking on for ever and ever come into the house he said in a curious half-muffled voice a deadly fear rending his heart come into the warm room elizabeth you're shivering not with cold she said hastily with fear fear of what they'll follow me and take me away from you they'll guess where i've come you know as you and i are engaged to be married my horrible jailers will hunt me down malcolm hilda at their head hilda who is the worst of all not rough and cruel with her hands like the others but cruel with her cold watchful eyes that are looking me into my grave what was this the delirium of fever he had been told that the fever had passed that she was almost well they had deceived him evidently they denied his right to know what progress she made towards recovery or towards death they had mocked him with their lying messages he put her shawl around her and drew her into the house he could keep her here long enough for her to rest and refresh herself while a messenger went to slogner to fetch a carriage to convey her home this was obviously his duty she had talked wildly of her jailers she had entreated him not to deliver her up to them and yet his first act must needs be in a manner to betray her his duty was clearly to restore her into the hands of her friends that wild horror of hilda and of her nurses could but be the raving of delirium they were doubtless kind enough in their way even if it were not the kindest way only hired service or the task-work imposed by duty it was common for these poor fever-distracted souls to exhibit a horror of their best friends to fly from them even as she had fled no there was nothing for him to do but restore her to her own home to that lonely pile which had seemed to him so darksome and gloomy a habitation that autumn twilight when he crossed its threshold for the first time he led her into the parlour where pine logs and sea-coal were burning cheerily led her into the ruddy home-like light her weary head resting on his shoulder as it had never rested since the night when he asked her to be his wife and let all the scheme of his existence drift away from him upon the flood-tide of passion he placed her in the big easy-chair by the hearth removed her shawl damp with the night dew and then planted himself by the opposite side of the mantelpiece watching her with grave anxiety thinking even in this sad moment how fair a picture she made in the firelight a sad forlorn face with troubled eyes a listless figure half shrouded in a veil of golden-brown hair if it were his duty as he felt it was to communicate with her friends there was time enough to dispatch his messenger he wanted her to speak a little more clearly first to discover the full significance of her fear she sat for some minutes in silence staring absently at the fire with a half smile upon her face as if exhausted by her long walk and feeling a physical satisfaction in mere warmth and rest and then after what seemed to malcolm a very long pause she looked slowly round the room still smiling and this time with more meaning in her smile 
oh how pretty your room looks in the firelight she said in her old light tone which smote him to the heart at such a time but your rooms are always pretty with books and things much prettier than my grand rooms crowded with pictures and gilding and finery and a hundred colours that make my eyes ache to look at them i like this sober brown-looking parlour like an interior by rembrandt this is the first time i've been in any room of yours since i came to you that morning at hawley but we were not engaged to be married in those days she added smiling innocently up at him as if she were saying the most reasonable the most natural thing in the world our engagement he said gravely that is an old song and came to an end long ago let us talk of the future lady paulyn not of the past she watched him as he spoke with a curious look as if she saw him talking without hearing what he'd said it was before we were engaged she went on pursuing her own line of thought how soon are we to be married malcolm when we are married you can take me away from that dreadful room with a shudder that horrid room where i lie awake night after night watching the candle burn slowly down oh how slowly it burns and the reflection of the flame in the shining oak panel it was clever of me to find out that about the candle wasn't it they took away my watch and got tired of telling me what o'clock it was or were too unkind to do it and then i thought of king alfred and the candles and knew by their burning when morning had nearly come he sighed a heart-broken sigh and sat down by her taking her hand gently dear lady paulyn he began with a stress upon the name i want to decide with your help what we had better do this long dreary walk must have tired you so much you have been very ill she turned upon him sharply with flashing eyes do not say that to me she cried angrily that is what all the doctors said dear lady you have been very ill talking to me in their soothing sugary tones as if they were reasoning with a baby in arms i told them that i was not ill that i was quite as well as i had ever been in my life only that i wanted to be let out of that hideous room to go out upon the hills to come to you malcolm with sudden tenderness and you see i was right she went on after a little pause if i were ill do you suppose i could have walked ever so many miles and i came along almost as fast as the wind i ran part of the way could i do that if i were ill malcolm he was silent for a few moments his head turned away from her and from the firelight his face quite hidden the first sound that broke the silence was a smothered sob she looked at him wonderingly malcolm why are you unhappy about me don't you understand that i am not ill oh, what does it matter to us if all those doctors talk nonsense you can send them all away when we're married elizabeth he said with tender earnestness taking her thin cold hand in his and holding it while he spoke alas there was no sign of bodily fever in that poor little hand it was that greater fever of the mind which he perceived here with supreme anguish elizabeth 
there is a kind of illness in which the mind is the chief sufferer an illness of which it seems to me the best means of cure are in the hands of the patient and not the doctor patience and resignation dear are the means of cure which god has given to us all if anything has made you unhappy if anything has disturbed your peace of mind pray to him for help for consolation for cure they will come elizabeth believe me they will come she looked at him wonderingly for a few minutes as if there were something in his words that made her thoughtful he was the first person who had ever spoken to her of her mind who had ever boldly told her that all was not well there the doctors had simpered at her and tut-tutted and patted her gently on the head as if she had suddenly gone backward in years and become a child of two they had made pretty little affectionate speeches of a sugar-plum fashion never giving her a direct answer to her eager questions putting off everything blandly till to-morrow till she began to think the order of the universe was changed and time was all to-morrow and then they left her to lie on her bed and wander from dawn to sunset from night till morning and to weave strange romances in her ever-working brain for lack of any reality in her life except the horrible reality of the room she hated and the nurses who ill-used her but this was part and parcel of the magical process of isolation whereby she was to recover her wits there's nothing the matter with my mind she said what should there be the matter now that i am with you and happy there never was anything the matter with me except the silent horror of that room and those rough-handed women who stared at me and worried me from morning till night with medicines and messes jellies and beef teas and things making believe that i was ill oh, but you won't give me back to them you won't let them take me away from you promise me that malcolm oh, mind you must promise me that half rising from her chair and clinging to him my dearest do not ask me to make an impossible promise i have no alternative it is my duty to restore you to your friends you cannot remain here and where can you so properly be as in your own house try to think elizabeth what the world would say if it knew that you wished to leave your husband and your own proper home my husband she repeated with a cold laugh my husband oh, that is what hilda said to me one day the nurses talk of my delusions why there can be no delusions so wild as that as if i could have any other husband than you malcolm after that night in the vicarage garden when i almost asked you to marry me my husband go back to my husband go away from you to my husband oh what malcolm are you going to talk nonsense like all the rest she asked looking round with a helpless bewildered air i begin to think that every one in the world is going mad except myself oh, elizabeth if you would only try to remember it is quite true that old promise was made dear and you and i were to be together all our lives but providence has ruled otherwise a foolish mistake of mine divided us and then after a little while you found another lover whose constancy and devotion must have gained your gratitude and esteem if not your love for you married him 
remember elizabeth you are the wife of lord paulyn you owe affection duty and obedience to him and you are bound to go back to the shelter of his roof if it seems dismal and strained to you while you are so ill dear be assured that fancy will pass away only pray for god's help pray to him to banish all evil fancies evil fancies she cried staring at him with wide-open wondering eyes and an expression that was half perplexity half contempt for his persistent folly you are like the rest malcolm mad mad how dare you say that i am married how dare you say that i have ever been false to you oh good heavens have i not thought of you without ceasing since the first night of our engagement that night when we stood by the vicarage gate malcolm and you confessed that you loved me i did wring that confession from you at last and oh how proud it made me as if i had tamed a lion and made him lie down at my feet she was silent for a few moments looking down at the fire with a happy smile placidly happy in that supreme egotism that curious self-concentration which is one of the characteristics of lunacy as if living over again that hour of triumphant love the hour in which she had proved that passion may be stronger than principle even in a good man's breast why do you talk to me of husbands she cried with a little burst of anger there is a man at slognadiac who ill-treated me hurt me with his strong cruel grasp dragged me away from the winter when i wanted to escape to you he is not my husband you won't send me back to him will you malcolm oh god you couldn't be so cruel as that if you knew how i watched day after day night after night before this chance came before i could get away from that hateful room they kept my door locked in my own house think of that malcolm the door locked upon me as if i had been a refractory child i watched them to find out where they put the key of the two doors but they wouldn't let me see and it was only to-night for the first time that i cheated them they were both out of the room no one there not even hilda my arch-enemy who has tried to poison me oh yes malcolm you will not believe but i have seen it in her face only i have refused to eat and baffled her that way i have refused to touch anything for days till they forced me to swallow their abominable messes with a look of unutterable disgust bending over me with their odious breath and clutching me with their great hot hands oh malcolm starting up from her chair and appealing to him passionately with outstretched hands swear that you will not give me back into their power kill me if you like if you have quite left off loving me if i am no use to the world or you kill me malcolm death from your hands would not be painful but don't send me back to that locked room good heavens why do you stand there looking at me like that are you afraid of them afraid of hilda disney afraid of that stony cruel man you call my husband what am i to do he cried not yet able to master even his own thoughts at sea on a stormy ocean of doubt and pity and love and honour to see her thus beautiful even in the utter wreck of reason loving humble confiding the pride that had been her blemished extinguished for ever 
to see her thus casting herself upon his love appealing to his manhood and yet to feel himself powerless to help her in the smallest degree unable to stand for a moment between her and her sorrow this was an ordeal beyond the worst peril of his wanderings beyond the circle of yelping savages the fire kindled at his feet which he had considered among the possibilities of his career he constrained himself by a supreme effort of his troubled mind to contemplate the situation calmly as if he had been interested only in his priestly character called upon to advise or direct in such an emergency no he exclaimed at last you shall not go back to slogner dyack if i can prevent it she gave a cry of joy a wild passionate cry as of a soul released from purgatory oh thank god she cried oh i knew you would not send me back oh let me stay with you malcolm let me follow you in all your wanderings do you think i fear hardship or famine or weariness where you are let me teach the little children in those savage lands children have always loved me and i them remember how i nursed the children at hawley let me go with you malcolm i will be anything you order me to be a slave to work for those wretched people with a faint shudder as if she had not yet overcome her idea of the general commonness of the missionary order i will endure everything toil danger and death if you let me be with you he did not answer her except with a long look of sorrowful tenderness parting the loose hair gently from her forehead with a protecting touch which was curiously different from the patronising pattings of the faculty contemplating her with a deploring tenderness he could not answer her to reason to attempt to awaken dormant memories seemed useless the doors of her brain had shut up the story of her wedded life it was not in his power to recall her to a sense of her actual position to rend the veil which shut out the realities leaving her soul in a fool's paradise of dreams he had arranged his plan of action meanwhile he rang for the lamp and the honest scottish lassie entering with the lighted moderator beheld with obvious consternation the figure of a lady with pale face and disordered hair clad in a long purple garment slashed and faced with satin a garment such as maggie the housemaid had never looked upon before a garment fastened with cords and tassels which the lady's restless fingers knotted and unknotted again and again while maggie stared at her tell your brother to saddle trim said mr ford in his quietest manner i want a message taken to the railway station at ellensbridge he looked at his watch thoughtfully no it would hardly be too late to send a telegram from that small station you'll no be sending the night mr ford said the girl the station will be shut no it won't maggie tell your brother to get the pony ready this minute and then come back to me for the message he took the lamp to a desk on the other side of the room where he had the blank forms for telegrams and all business appliances and without farther deliberation wrote the following message from malcolm ford dunallen argyleshire to gertrude luttrell hawley devon england your sister lady paulyn is dangerously ill come at once to this place a case of urgent necessity telegraph reply 
he filled another form with almost the same words addressed to mrs chevenix eaton place south and having delivered these to maggie with strict instructions as to haste and care in the manner of transmitting them he began to consider how soon either of these women could reach that remote spot it was too late for mrs chevenix to leave town by the limited mail she could only arrive at dunallen upon the following night just twenty-four hours after the sending of the telegram and during that interval how was he to protect elizabeth from her natural protectors from people who had an unassailable right to the custody of this helpless creature his only hope lay in the chance that they might not guess where she had gone yet he hardly dared hope as much as that when miss disney knew that he was in the neighbourhood and doubtless knew that he had once been elizabeth's betrothed husband his first thought the telegrams being dispatched was to find her a fitting refuge he had friends enough in the cosy little hillside colony friends who in the common acceptation of the phrase would have gone through fire and water to serve him though they had only known him seven weeks he debated for a little while a very little while for moments were precious and he had already lost much time and then decided upon his plan of action two ancient maiden ladies his devoted admirers lived in a snug little villa hardly five minutes walk from the manse friendly scotch bodies upon whose kindness and singleness of heart he could rely with these two ladies he might find the fittest shelter for the forlorn being who had cast herself upon his care lodged safely there she might perhaps escape pursuit for a little while just long enough to bring the friends of her girlhood round her so that she might at least have her sister by her side when she went back to slogner wrap your shawl closely round you lady paulyn he said i am going to take you to a house where you can sleep to-night to friends who'll take care of you friends she cried i have no friends in the world but you oh let me stay here with you oh malcolm you are not going to send me away after all i am not going to send you back to the people you fear as i believe without reason i am going to put you in the charge of two good friends of mine kind old scotch women who will be very good to you i want no one's goodness she exclaimed impatiently why can i not stay here with you it is quite impossible but why because you have a husband and a house of your own she shook her head angrily he's madder than the rest she muttered and i should do very wrong to detain you here i fear that if i did my duty i should at once communicate with your household at slogner dyack oh you'll not do that she cried starting up and clinging to his arm no elizabeth i cannot do that against your wish i will see you placed in safe hands and perhaps to-morrow one of your sisters or your aunt may be here to protect you one of my sisters she repeated dreamily oh i should like to have blanche with me i was always fond of blanche come then the less time we lose the better he went out into the hall she following him and thence to the garden in front of the manse he gave her his arm as they went out into the windy road white in the moonlight but they had scarcely crossed the boundary when she gave a shrill scream and darted back towards the house two women one tall and gaunt-looking were standing in the road a few paces from the brougham which seemed to be waiting for them 
the tall woman advanced to meet mr ford the other ran back to the carriage and exclaimed to someone inside we found her miss disney we found her what do you want asked malcolm his heart sinking with a sickness as of death itself vain had been his hope of putting himself between her and the people to whom she belonged that lady said the female grenadier pointing to elizabeth who stood in the porch watching them lady paulyn it was miss disney told us to come here to look for her yes said hilda who had alighted from the brougham and if you had been honest enough to tell me of lady paulyn's escape at the time it occurred instead of three hours afterwards i should have been here ever so long ago i dare say you remember me mr ford she added turning to malcolm i met you at luncheon one day at hawley vicarage my name is disney i am lord paulyn's cousin i remember you perfectly miss disney i am sorry we should meet again under such lamentable circumstances you have of course perceived lady paulyn's sad condition has she been here long oh a little more than an hour i should think what made you suppose she would come here hilda hesitated a little before replying because you are about the only person she knows in this neighbourhood an isolated position for any woman to occupy said malcolm and i should imagine eminently calculated to depress the spirits or even to unsettle the mind lady paulyn had my society and her husband's sir and i do not believe solitude has had anything to do with the melancholy state of her mind she has a strange aversion to returning to slognadiac said mr ford and a horror of her nurses perhaps a natural feeling in her delirious state now i have friends here two simple-minded kindly old ladies who would be very glad to take care of her for a few days you might remain with her if you pleased and you could by that means withdraw her from a place about which she has such an unhappy feeling he did not want to give her up to them without a struggle yet reason told him any struggle would be useless miss disney's inflexible face looking at him sternly in the moonlight was not the face of a woman to be turned from her own set purpose by an appeal that might be made to her compassion i could not possibly sanction such an extraordinary proceeding she said lord paulyn is away from home and in his absence i feel myself responsible for his wife's safety i cannot forgive the nurses for their shameful neglect this evening there's no being up to the artfulness of them said the tall nurse this evening was the first time the key of that door was ever out of my own keeping owing to my having torn my pocket and not liking to trust it i put that blessed key in the little chiny jar on the mantelpiece will you ask my cousin to come to the carriage mr ford said miss disney with a business-like air we need not lose any more time well you had better come into the house for a little while and talk to her quietly there is no occasion to let her feel she's taken back like a prisoner hilda complied rather unwillingly and mr ford led the way to the porch where elizabeth stood waiting the issue of events you're not going to give me up are you she asked i have no power to detain you then you're a coward she cried passionately 
is this what men have come to since the age of chivalry when a man would leap among lions to pick up a woman's glove you go among the heathen you brave the rage of savages their tortures their poisoned arrows and their flames why all that they say you have done can be nothing but lies when you're afraid to oppose her pointing contemptuously to miss disney elizabeth he said earnestly trying to pierce the confusion of her mind there are social laws stronger than fire or sword and the law that gives a woman to her husband is the strongest of them all for it is a divine law as well as a social one i dare not come between you and those who have the best right to protect you but i can interfere to redress your wrongs if they are false to their trust i do not stand by unconcerned in this matter wherever you are at slognadiac as well as in this house i shall be interested in your welfare at hand to give you all the help i can give counsel and consolation as a minister of god's word or advice as a man of the world i have telegraphed to your sisters and your aunt and i feel little doubt that they will be with you to-morrow night a most uncalled-for interference said hilda disdainfully the doctors have forbidden any intercourse between lady paulyn and her relations what do the doctors choose the time when she has most need of familiar friends and old associations to cut her off from them altogether oh, wise doctors miss disney common sense and natural affection suggest a better system of cure for a mind ill at ease oh, you may pretend to know more than scientific men who have made this malady the study of their lives replied hilda but however that may be i can only tell you that should the miss luttrells be so foolish as to come to lord paulyn's house uninvited by him they will not be allowed to see their sister well we'll see about that when they're here elizabeth stood between them silently a vacant look had stolen over the pale melancholy face she uttered no farther remonstrance no farther upbraiding but went with hilda unresistingly apathetic or half unconscious where she was being taken the fitful flame had died out into darkness she was a creature without a mind submissive indifferent to awaken by and by to a sense of her imprisonment and to vain anger and fury like a wild animal that has been netted while it slept end of book three chapter ten